Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would go ahead and find your place in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. You know, people often have questions about life and death, heaven and hell. And I believe they ultimately want answers for their questions about eternity. I really think that's what's driving all the questions. What's going to happen? What will it be like? Will we know people? Who gets to go to heaven? Who gets left out? How does God decide these things? Surely this person's going to heaven, right? You ever said that? You ever, you ever looked at somebody and thought, well, well, if they're not getting in, then I don't have a chance, right? You ever thought that? Or just me? What about my pets? Are my dogs and cats going to be in heaven with me? Dogs, maybe. Cats, I don't know about that. That's just, no, I'm just kidding. That's just my personal. But here's the thing. I, I don't believe it's that we don't have answers. I, I believe it's that Answers that God gives us are not necessarily the answers we want. And so I don't think it's a, a lack of information. I think it's a lack of agreement. You see, all too often people tend to develop their beliefs and their convictions based on their emotions rather than what the Bible says. That's very dangerous. Uh, because I can promise you this by the truth of God's Word and by my own personal life experience. If I ever come across these moments in my life when I believe one thing and God's Word says another, I can tell you who's not wrong. God. He's not wrong. Which means, listen, listen very carefully, just by way of introduction, every single time in my life, if I come to a point where there's something that I believe or a conviction that I hold that is not consistent with the Word of God, then here's what has to happen. i got to change. I have to reevaluate my thinking and I have to get my heart and mind in line with what the Word of God says. There is no option B. That's what has to happen. I can, and I can either do that or I can just choose to be in disobedience to God. And you, and you can do that. Did you know? I don't know if you all knew this. Did you know you are free to make any choice you choose? Any, any decision you want to make, you're free to make it. Did you know that? You're not free to choose the consequences. Because the consequences that go with your decision just are what they are. So you, you don't get to choose the consequences, but you do get to choose. So you have to be very careful. You have to be aware of consequences to your decisions. And so when I have a, a problem or a disagreement or an inconsistency, then I need to reevaluate and try to open myself up to changing, to bend my will to the will of God and bring my beliefs in accordance to the Word of God. Because if I don't, it might provide some temporary comfort, but it doesn't do anybody any good. So the question we 
have before us today as we consider more parables from Jesus is what is the kingdom of heaven like? And not what I think, what does the Bible say? So we're going to read today Matthew chapter 13 beginning in verse 24. We'll go down to verse 43 in really a a mini-series within this series, uh, a two-week look at the kingdom of heaven. And here's what the Bible says, beginning in verse 24. The words will be on the screen there for you. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy man has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown... It is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, in Jesus' name I pray you will speak clearly to our hearts this morning. Help us understand and help us be obedient. For your glory and for our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a continuation of last week's text where we looked at the first parable Jesus told about the four different types of soil where seed fell and what happened to each of those seeds in those different kinds of soil. But today 
we're looking at several different parables, one of which is a little bit longer, and the other two are brief but very important. And so what I'd like to do is just walk through these verses today and, and point out some principles that I believe the text shows us very clearly and how we can apply these things to our daily living so that we can be obedient to God and give Him glory. The first thing that the text shows us today is that believers have value. Believers have value. This is represented by the kingdom of heaven because what makes up the kingdom of heaven? God's people. What makes up the church? God's people. Church is not a building. It's a people. It's a movement of people. And every believer has value. Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven about a man sowing good seed. And he tells this parable to try to demonstrate what the world is like with believers and unbelievers coexisting in the same space. And so, if you, if you are looking around and trying to pay attention at all, this should be pretty obvious, right? Because everywhere we go in this world, uh, I, I was able to be in South America a couple weeks ago, and so I'm in a different country, uh, trying to speak a different language, and uh, different culture, and certainly, certainly different driving habits oh my word uh my prayer life increased exponentially uh, during that time but let me just tell you this it's it's still the same it didn't matter that that i was five thousand miles away it didn't matter that the people spoke a different language or had different customs or did things a little differently It's, it's still the same there's some who believe in jesus and follow him are part of his kingdom and there are many others who are not but it's not like you got a city of believers here and a city of unbelievers here. It's, you're just all together, right? Some believe and some don't. And so I, I want you to see the foreshadowing that Jesus gives here because He explains this in our, the last portion of the Scripture. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want you to understand a couple of things just about the illustration He uses, okay? So... He talks about the man sowing good seed in his field. The workers were sleeping, the text says. And so, as they were sleeping, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. Now, the one thing we need to know about these tares, you might call them weeds, but here's what you need to know. You've got a, a field in this illustration, right? A field, and it's got wheat and tares. But the tares are not just any old weed. You know, sometimes when you look in your garden, if you've got tomato plants or string beans or something like that, and then you see weeds, it's pretty obvious, right? I mean, a weed, a grass weed, doesn't look anything like the stuff you planted, right? So it's just, it's easy to pick them out. Well, let me tell you about this. The specific word that's used in this parable, the specific kind of weed, is a plant that very closely resembles wheat. So I want you to understand that and why that's important. See, an enemy comes and throws out seed different than the good seed that the landowner put in there. But when they grow up, you almost can't tell them apart. You understand what I'm saying? Put your spiritual eyes on for a minute. Walk out in the street, in the community. Walk down the sidewalk, go into a grocery store, look, go to a filling station. And you see people everywhere, Right? Now, if you just look at somebody, can you just tell 
right off the bat, oh, that person's a Christian. That person's not a Christian. Can, can you tell that? No. You know why you can't? Because the sons of the evil one and the sons of the kingdom look a whole lot alike. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing. But in this illustration here, Jesus is trying to help us understand that when you look in the world, you can't just judge somebody by their looks because that means you've developed some preconceived idea of what you think a Christian is supposed to look like. And did you know that's wrong? What's a Christian look like? I don't know. I can't see their heart. God can. So there's a reason why you go back to 1 Samuel and you look at what God says about how God looks at people differently than man looks at people. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. There's a reason why that's in there. Because we can't tell the difference. So when you have a side-by-side comparison, the only way you can tell the difference here in this illustration between the wheat and the tares, it says it becomes evident, because it says here in the text, if you go back and read, it says, verse 26, When the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. So you've got to look real close. You've got to examine what kind of fruit's being bore out here, you know? What, what, what kind of life is being lived? What kind of values are being shown? That's the only way you can start to observe and try to understand which is which. But the other part of this particular parable and illustration I want to tell you before we move on, I want you to see something very important about the perspective of the landowner. Because the workers immediately say, hey, what in the world? You sowed good seed and there's all kind of other stuff out here. You want us to go get them and get, get them out of here? And, and look at the response of the landowner. Verse 29, he said, no. No, he said, while you're gathering up the tares, you might uproot the wheat. So don't do that. Do you see how much care and concern the landowner has for his good crop. You understand what's happening here? The Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, cares so much about those who are His that He doesn't want His angels, His reapers, going out there in the field and tearing things up too soon because He he doesn't want to damage His own. He cares about us. He's concerned for us. So he says, no, no, there will be a time for that, but it's not yet. And so he says, he doesn't want the wheat to be uprooted. So he says in verse 30, allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, then we'll take care of it. And the disposition of the two types of seeds as they have grown up is very, very distinct. Because if you read verse 30, the tares are gathered up and bound in bundles and burned. But the wheat goes into the barn. Because believers have value in the eyes of God. Number two, believers have potential. These short parables are so profound and and, it doesn't take long to just say what what needs to be said. Jesus says in, in verse 31 and 32, The kingdom of heaven is like. 
He does this three times in this larger portion. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And a man took it and sowed in his field. Now, the mustard seed is smaller than all the other seeds. You remember Jesus used the example faith of a mustard seed? Because it's so small. Well, here he says the mustard seed is being sowed in the field and it appears to be small. In other words, it, it might appear to be insignificant. But when it's fully grown, guess what? It's larger than all the other garden plants. And it serves more of a purpose because now birds of the air come nest in the branches because it's a tree. It's so large. It has so much potential and, and ability to serve but you wouldn't notice it when you plant the seed. right? You, you wouldn't be able to tell that just looking at the seed. David Turner wrote that this parable emphasizes how the kingdom grows from an insignificant beginning in the largest of, into the largest of garden shrubs suitable for nesting birds. So what looks like an insignificant beginning becomes a great purpose. And that's how it is with believers. Did you know that... You can have a, 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 an opinion of yourself that is not based in reality. Do you know that's possible? Happens all the time. You can look at yourself and think of yourself and who you are and your character and your abilities and you can say, you know what, I just, I just don't, have, I don't really have much to contribute. You know, God, thank you so much for forgiving my sins. Thank you for saving my soul. But as far as serving you and contributing to the kingdom, I just I don't have a whole lot to offer. Well, that, that's your opinion. That doesn't mean it's true. Because God looks at His children and sees a totally different picture. Because even the smallest, seemingly insignificant seed can have great purpose in the kingdom of God. And we should probably... Get, a, get in touch with that truth and help our understanding of who we are in Christ, not who we are on our own. Who are we in Christ and what is Christ able to do in us and through us for the glory of His kingdom? Did you know everything that's done in and through us is because of God? None of it's because of our own abilities, just so we're clear. Every believer has potential. Number three, believers have influence. Believers have influence, and oftentimes it's not realized. Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven yet again, verse 33. A woman takes leaven, hides it in three pecks of flour. Now, just so you'll know, three pecks of flour. Roughly 30 to 35 pounds of flour. Okay? So you go to the grocery store, you buy a little... Package of flour, what is it, usually a pound? Two pounds? Five pounds? Okay. So if you get five pounds of flour, just get seven of those. It's a lot of flour. Okay? And this woman hides this leaven in, this, this age, leavening agent in 30 to 35 pounds of flour. And yet it's a, just a little bit, but you know what happens the more you mix it up? it makes it through the whole batch of flour. Just a little bit. goes a long way, right? So Jesus is showing us that believers have more influence, the kingdom of heaven has more influence than we realize. 
the kingdom of heaven, the growth of the kingdom of heaven might be just as imperceptible as the influence of yeast in a loaf of bread, but in the end, it's going to be pervasive throughout the whole earth if we follow God's Word and His instruction for our lives. We have um, a direction to go. And so believers have value and potential and influence. And Jesus is trying to explain these things to those who are hearing His Word. But there's an interesting thing that happens right here after verse 33. Because in verse 34, you start to see a transition. This is number four. Jesus fulfills prophecy. Jesus fulfills prophecy. Jesus spoke all these things, verse 34 says, to the crowds in parables. And it says He always used parables. Because Jesus... The Messiah is very intentional about everything He does. And it's according to Scripture. It's according to the Old Testament. Because God has a plan. The plan is good. And it's working itself out in the world. So this was the text of Scripture I read at the beginning of the service today from Psalm 78. That's what's quoted here. Verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we've heard and known and our fathers have told us. So this fulfillment of prophecy, as Matthew says in verse 35, is showing this is why Jesus is doing what He's doing. It's not an accident and it's not an afterthought. Jesus knows exactly what He's doing. He knows why He's choosing to speak in this format. It's not meaningless. He's doing it for a particular reason. See, this Psalm 78 stresses Israel's unbelief, which leads to God's discipline. And so in spite of this uh, unbelief and the discipline that's necessary, God keeps on showing His faithfulness to Israel by doing powerful acts, uh, miraculous acts. He also chooses David to be their shepherd, their king. And in Matthew's gospel here, Jesus is the son of David who fulfills the Davidic role as Israel's ultimate shepherd. This is a fulfillment of a huge prophecy. When, we, when you go to the New Testament and you realize, well, who is this Messiah? Who are we supposed to be looking for? You ever heard uh, Jesus referred to as the son of David? Here it is. This is part of God fulfilling prophecy through His Son whom He sent to be the Messiah and give forgiveness to God's people. So this is a, a tremendous um, encouragement, it should be, because Matthew's Gospel is filled with these types of phrases. This was to fulfill this prophecy from the Old Testament. You know why he does that? Because Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So he kept on and kept on and kept on pointing to the Old Testament to show them, you see, Jesus fulfilled that and that and that and that and that and goes on and on and on to where ultimately you're left with this decision. Well, I can either ignore all this evidence and just believe what I want or I can believe that Jesus really is the Messiah. You remember what I said when we first started out? If I have a belief or a conviction that doesn't square with God's Word, who's wrong? Me. And so there's an entire group of people, these Jewish folks who refuse to believe Jesus is the Messiah, 
even in the face of mountains of fulfilled prophecy and evidence that He is exactly who He says He is. So this causes a problem. A problem of understanding because they're refusing to believe the truth. So look at this transition in verse 36. This is number 5. Jesus enlightens His followers. Jesus enlightens His followers. Notice it doesn't say Jesus enlightens everybody. Because some people don't want to hear it. They refuse to believe, so they just don't want to hear it. So look what happens in verse 36. The Bible says He leaves the crowds. See, He's talking to a bunch of people. Right? If you remember, back at the beginning of chapter 13, they're all gathered out there on the, on the beach. Right? There's tons of people. They're listening. But now, He leaves the crowds. He says He goes into the house. And His disciples came to Him. So you see what just happened? Big speech. People aren't receiving. People aren't listening. Don't, and they don't understand because of that. So now He takes His twelve and goes in the house. And it's in that more intimate setting that the disciples ask Him, Hey, um, what's all that mean? See, that's what they, they ask Him. See, in the first part, Last week, they asked him why he talked in parables, and then he explained. But here, they ask him specifically, verse 36, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. They want to know exactly what this means. And this, friends, is somewhat sad because of the outcome. But it ought to be a wake-up call for us. Because Jesus is no longer speaking to the crowds where there would be so many to whom the secrets of the kingdom would not be revealed because of their rejection, but to the disciples to whom these mysteries, mysteries are revealed. And after they ask for this explanation, here's what he says. Very clearly, he identifies every piece of the symbolism. The landowner, the sower of the seed is Jesus, the Son of Man. The field is the world in which we live. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one. The enemy is the devil himself. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. One after the other after the other, he explains what is what and who is who. But it's not until he explains the meaning that things get more serious. So when you read down here to verse 40, see up until verse 39 he's just identifying the different pieces. But when you get to verse 40, Jesus says, so just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, remember that's what He said would happen up there in verse 30, but now He says, just as that was the case, so shall it be at the end of the age. And verse 41 explains what He means. Jesus is going to send His angels out into the world with a specific purpose. But I want you to see that He is not removing the saints from the world to be destroyed. He's removing the sinners from God's kingdom. It's a very different event. The Son of Man sends His angels and look what He does. Verse 41 says, They gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. These are 
the sons of the evil one. Verse 42 tells us what will happen to all stumbling stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. He will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, there are consequences to every decision. Remember I told you, you're free to make whatever decision you want to make. You're just not free to choose the consequences. You can do whatever you want. But don't be surprised or even upset when the consequences of your decision are not to your liking. Because I will tell you what I've told you before. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. And whatever gain there is from sinfulness and rejection of the gospel, it is always, always temporary. God did not come to this earth in the form and the person of Jesus Christ to give us temporary comfort. He came here to save us from death and give us eternal life. And that's what this parable is a picture of to show us this is what happens when you reject Christ and the gospel. You're removed from the kingdom. You're thrown into the furnace of fire. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But almost as a simple little statement, it's not an afterthought by any means, but it's almost just just a statement. Verse 43, The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Everyone with the ability to hear should pay close attention. He who has ears, let him hear. See, the kingdom of heaven is not all that difficult to describe when Jesus uses multiple illustrations to explain it to us. Believers have value in God's eyes. Believers have potential in God's kingdom. Believers have influence in the world. Does it does it seem like those things aren't happening? You know why? Maybe we've forgotten where our citizenship is. Maybe we've bought in too much to this picture of, well, you know, here's the wheat and here's the tares. I can't tell them apart. And let me just offer you a a bit of personal application from this text. Because that's really what we need to know, right? So first, we should never underestimate the value or the potential or the influence of God's kingdom. Because God places supreme value on His kingdom's citizens because only God truly knows their potential for growth and their spiritual influence. And we need to value the things God values. But also we should take note of the subtle differences between the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one. And it may be one of the primary reasons the Bible teaches us to look at the heart rather than judging by outward appearance because looks can be deceiving. You know, sometimes we, I believe, we 
give in to this idea. Well, I just, I just want to, I don't want any trouble. I just want to go on about my life. You know, I don't want to upset the apple cart. So I just want to be left alone, just do my thing. But here, here's the truth that, that we have to recognize. The more at home we find ourselves in this world, the less at home we are with Jesus. If so, Listen, if somebody can look at me and look at my life and observe me for any length of time, and they can't tell any difference between me and somebody I know who does not believe in Jesus, that's a problem. That, that's a big problem. And it ought to send off alarms in my heart and mind. Something's, something's not right with me. If, if people around me can't tell the difference between me and somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, I, I've, where, where have I gone? I've gone wrong somewhere. See, we, we forget. This, this world is not our home. This is not where we belong. We're meant for something else. Somewhere else. We shouldn't feel at home in this world. We shouldn't be comfortable in this culture. We shouldn't blend in with other people who don't give a rip about Jesus and the Bible. There should be a distinction between Christians and those who don't believe. And to the extent there's not... I can't get this out of my mind. I just thought of Lucille Ball. You got some explaining to do. We've got some explaining to do. We're going to have some explaining to do to our Savior. What are you? What are you doing? Why? Why don't you look? Why don't you look more like me? Jesus didn't call us to blend in with the culture. He called us to transform the culture with the gospel. And that's the message of the kingdom of heaven. You want to live for Jesus? It's countercultural. It's different. It's different for the glory of God. Let's pray. message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.